the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. The Jewish Hour can now be heard on jcastnetwork.org, your portal to Jewish broadcasting. It's also on iTunes and on your smartphone using the Stitcher app. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I am your host, Herschel Finman. We've got a great show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we'll be featuring the Jewish Hour's own Hannah Finman. We're going to be talking about Jewish fashion through the ages. This is like one of the more fascinating topics you're going to hear over here. And of course, Hannah, with her upbeat style, is going to make it unbelievably entertaining. We have, we're still in the three weeks. This is the last of the three weeks. Tisha B'Av is Monday night. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the second half hour of the show. So we're playing a cappella music in light of the fact that we are still in a quasi-state of mourning. We have a Tisha B'Av story, which is short and directly to the point and very apropos. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. <laughs> Egypt announced a major operation in the Sinai following another terror attack on a natural gas pipeline. The pipeline sabotage jeopardized much-needed income to Egypt. Sinai has become a hotbed of terrorism with various groups establishing terror training camps throughout the region and using the area as a base to launch attacks against Israel. Interesting enough, Egypt asked Israel for consideration and permission before going in. Israel successfully conducted a launch of a Jericho 3 rocket. The Jericho 3 has a range of 5 to 11,000 kilometers and can carry a warhead weighing up to a ton. The test was scheduled in advance and was not in response to any specific events. Ron Dermer was appointed, excuse me, let me try that again, Ron Dermer 
was appointed Israel's new ambassador to, to Washington. Dermer replaced outgoing ambassador Mikhail Oren, also known as Michael Oren. Dermer was Netanyahu's chief advisor over the past four years. He's a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania and Oxford and is a former appointee to the Washington Embassy. 5,635 violent attacks were committed against Jews in Israel during the first half of 2013, up almost 8%. One person died and 70 people were wounded by the violence. Got to put that in check. The Israeli's Land Administration approved construction of 7,000 new housing units in Kiryat Bialik, that's north and west, uh, north and east of Haifa. 5,000 units have already been approved for Kiryat Bialik. Israel's Interior Ministry began a two-year trial of its controversial biomedic data program. Listen to this one. Israeli citizens renewing their national identity cards, those are like driver's licenses, can choose to receive a smart card by submitting their biometric data, including fingerprints and facial contours. Ooh, very big brotherish. Israel civil rights organizations, of course, challenged the program in court, claiming it violates the privacy rights of Israelis, but it definitely says Israeli citizens who want to participate. You don't have to. It's not compulsory. Portrait, this is a story of a pound, what's the expression, a dollar dollar short and a pound too late, whatever the expression is. Yeah, it's like this is, this is, they really missed the boat on this one. Listen to this. Portugal joined Israel as the only country to have a law of return for Jews. Jews were expelled from Portugal in 1536, that's almost 500 years ago. The community numbered in hundreds of thousands at the time. To correct the wrong, anyone who can prove they are descendants of Portuguese Jews can immediately become Portuguese citizens. Do I want to? Anyway, late... Okay, it's obviously some kind of move to get Jews to go visit Portugal, which I have no interest in doing. But later this month, Portugal will open a $1.5 million learning center in Transcoso, a town once home to many Jews. Thank you very much. No thanks. Speaking of which, Israeli archaeologists unearthed part of a unique sphinx brought from Egypt in a dig at Chatzor. The Sphinx has a hieroglyphic inscription with the name of the Egyptian king Mycerinus, who ruled more than 4,000 years ago. The king was one of the builders of the famous Giza pyramids. In business news, the shekel rose this week on world currency markets. The shekel now stands at 3.6 shekels for one U.S. dollar. And finally, we could put this in the Department of scratch your head, the Knesset passed its preliminary reading of law that would forbid the import and sale of foie gras. Foie gras is a delicacy made of goose liver that animal rights groups have condemned because of the cruel practice farmers, farmers used to produce it. And interestingly enough, foie gras has been considered not kosher because of the way that they've been producing it since they started producing foie gras. And that's the news. Some of the best jobs in the world are in the radio and television industry, and you too can join the workforce in as little as eight months when you complete your hands-on training at the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts located in Southfield, Michigan. At Spex Howard School, students get to play and learn at the same time. Imagine spending your class time behind the microphone, spinning music and hosting your own radio show, or designing and lighting a set for your own TV program, running a camera, learning to edit, directing a program. When you go to Spex, your day will be anything but dull. And if school is this fun, imagine how exciting it is to work in the growing industry. In addition, the credits you earn while attending Spex Howard School are currently accepted at 14 area colleges and universities. 
If you've always wanted the best job in the world, call for a tour of Specs Howard School at 248-358-9000. That's 248-358-9000. Or visit them on the web at specshoward.edu. Specs Howard School of Broadcast Arts. This is where you start. Herschel Finman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. We have on the line the Jewish Hour's own and, and uh, my wife, Hannah Finman. How are you? I don't hear anything. You punch her up? Good. This is why I'm not a board up. Hi, how are you? You were in, you were, you were in Never Never that Land. That's a really weird euphemism. What, what did you just say? I no, I said I'm not a board up. That's not that is not a euphemism. A board up is the guy who operates the the engineering board. So uh-huh. I don't what get to push. Think? No, no, they know me over here. I don't get to push any buttons. If I were to push buttons, probably uh-huh. something would blow up. You I know. Think so they, yeah, but your listeners should know that because it just sounded like something. Like, no, board up is not code for anything. No, this is not. We're not part of the CIA. I'm not sending yeah. out covert messages to Russia for people who are listening online. No. Okay. So it's just that somebody didn't push the button, and I'm not allowed to. So how are you today, Hannah Finman? I'm good. I'm enjoying, enjoying the weather. weather. Yes, this is, this is something you can talk about. If you can talk about how good the weather is in Michigan, it's already a plus. So we are actually talking about a history of... Jewish fashion. And one of the things that always has impressed me when I talk about people about music, I ask them, so what's Jewish music? And they yeah. say, well, Jewish music is music that's Jewish. So I'm assuming right. that when you're talking about Jewish fashion, there are prohibitions in Judaism about fashion, like men are not allowed to wear women, specifically women's clothes and women can't wear specifically men's clothes. And there's yep. a prohibition of, of wool and linen. And then we have the uh, the mitzvah of wearing uh, tassels, tzitzis on the corners of our garments. So there's all kinds of things in, in that are mentioned already in the Bible about fashion. Right. So Jews, you might say, have always been fashion conscious. It's just what the consciousness is. But is there something really called, from your knowledge and this uh, wonderful book that we received from the Israeli Museum, called specifically Jewish fashion, Hannah Finman? Well, yes and no. And, and this That's a good answer. Book, yeah. It's a complicated subject. And this book that I really wanted to share today on the Jewish Hour with your listeners. It's called The Jewish Wardrobe from the collection of the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. And this is a coffee table sized book of about um, 350 pages, large book, one of the most beautiful books I've seen in many years. It's comparable to the book that um, we have about the Jewish museums around the world, which is also a beautiful book that um, is like a coffee table size book that takes you all over the world um, and to look at the Jewish museums in almost every country, which were basically old synagogues that have been preserved and turned into museums where you can actually learn about that specific culture. Um, this book is, in, like I would say, is similar to that. It's, an, it's a scholarly work, completely footnoted. And you would think, well, it's, you're talking about clothes. What's the big deal? Now, if anyone's been to New York, the Fashion Institute of Technology does have a museum, FIT. And it's a good place to drop in. It's a free museum. And it's in the Garment District of Manhattan. And you can kind of wander around there. They always are changing the exhibits. 
And you get a feel for, yes, it is a scholarly subject. It's an academic subject, fashion. And fashion is, it can be interpreted um, and described in many ways. It's a big word, actually, in the academic world. And the choice of words that um, they use is more like tailoring, something how it's tailored in different places, because everything was done by hand and done with a great amount of um, tradition and using organic materials. So it's, um, it's, it's a study in of itself. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, very often there's the uh, discussion. I, when I speak to groups uh, that are not primarily Jewish, I get asked about the style of dress. And yes. the, the question that comes up is costume versus uniform. The yeah. specific style of dress, is it a uniform? Are we trying to say, this is who I am and these are my marching orders? Or is it a costume saying, this is just how I'm trying to present myself, okay. or again, or so, both? Right. So what this book does is answer your questions beautifully. And um, the curator of the uh, textile and you know clothing part of the Jerusalem, uh, the, the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, has divided this book in many incredible chapters with beautiful photographs of the costumes, of the ritual garments um, that you're speaking about, and um, from all over the world in all different times periods using all different kinds of ingredients in the textiles. Um, so, yes, we have something called an... In- they break it up into two academic words, internal and external. There's the internal, which you're speaking of, biblical rulings of uh, pertaining to dress, right? Mm-hmm. And that would include uh, tzitzis, the ritual fringes that men wear, men's head coverings, married women's hair coverings, belts, um, sometimes uh, modesty and, and the uh, rules like you were describing before, and wedding celebrations, birth and childhood, death and mourning. There's uh, halacha's laws pertaining to those things which would be international in every Jewish community, and they would come up to be same and different, depending, you know, in the time and the place. There's, mm-hmm. there's similarities, because like you said, it, it, it comes from the Torah. So Jews were doing these things and are doing these things, and they, and they do differ slightly in their interpretations. But um, that would be internal. Okay, before you, before you go, external. let me interrupt yeah. you before you go to the external. Sorry. I'm going to write down the word external so I remember so we don't lose our train of thought. <laughs> That's pretty easy for me to do, so you're going to help me. Yeah, I'm at that, I'm past that age, too. Yeah. I have big, on my, on my playlist, I have the big word external written down. Yeah, well, the external. The, well, I'm going to forget what I'm going to ask you if well, I don't ask the question. Sorry. So, <laughs> anyway, about the, the idea of modesty, how, oh. are, how do the laws of modesty, which are written in the Torah, affect the style and mode, and mode of dress throughout the ages, Hannah Finman, from what you've seen? Well, the Bible prohibits cross-dressing, so you just mentioned that. So there's, in the text, in Deuteronomy, it would say, a, a woman shall not wear a man's apparel, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. So the interpretation of these gender boundaries has been varied and culture-dependent. For example, the respect to wearing trousers, of women or men. There were some places in the world where women wore pantaloons. Um, so um, 
what was the what was the other question about Shatness? About I was talking about modesty more. I want to focus modesty. on now. Yeah. Okay. So, well, that that would how um, modesty um, differentiates differ, differentiates and of uh, and modesty um, are not absolute norms and are constantly being reinterpreted. And I could go on and on about that, but I I think that um, it's uh, it's understood mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, fabrics change. You know, things bec- we have more flexibility with um, lightness of fabrics or lightness of hair coverings. But you can get very involved with, say, women covering their hair, which was a topic I really didn't want to get totally into. But mm-hmm. we can say that as synthetic fabrics come into uh, popularity, you see synthetic hair coverings. Whereas you look in this book and go through the ages, you'll see really extreme heavy coverings. For instance, um, there's places in the world where women wore actual metal, like filigree cones on their heads. Like, oh, that's wild. Kind of funny looking. And they would be like a foot high. And they were filigree to be light, but they would then wrap fabrics over them that were very ornate. So these things must have been very heavy. And you can't imagine um, it's something for a museum. It's not worn anywhere in the world today. But if you think of the Middle Ages and paintings of these women with those, like, clown hats with the fabric descending, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's something like that. Well, nowadays women would wear very lightweight, comfortable wigs that would look very natural. Uh, They would wear fabrics like you see in Israel, the Sfardim, who aren't so into wigs. They're more into um, their rabbinical courts suggest more to wear light, you know, fabric scarves. Mm-hmm. So you see beautiful fabrics nowadays in Israel where many of the women are coming to her that way. They're, you know, different neighborhoods do different things. Okay, let's go back. always been the case. Okay. Always been the case. Yeah. Let's go back to the external. I This is a secret. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I'm sharing mm-hmm. this with you and the greater, the greater um, Jewish Hour listening audience, but I really always have wanted a robe like Moses wore. What would well, be if I actually did walk around in a Moses robe? That's Jewish okay. dress, isn't it? Look, Moses wore Moses it. Robes are actually... Um, uh, when, okay, the Arizal, you know, 1500s, right? There was an interpretation that he shared with his uh, followers who studied the Kabbalah in Sfat. And that was to wear white on Sabbath. White was about purity. White was about being close to God. White was about let's change from our black weekday garments into something which will make us feel different, not just the same a style that we wore on the weekday that's been cleaned for, for, for the Sabbath, for, for Shabbos, but a change in the garments so that our feelings change. And that's like a psychological kind of uplifting um, quality that the clothes would, would give the wearer. Mm-hmm. So you have people who take that tradition nowadays and wear white. So mm-hmm. if you want it to feel more Moses-esque, I would say hop on the Arizal uh, wagon, and there are those people in Israel to this day who wear hand-woven, amazing cottony garments or linen garments, 
um, on the Sabbath, and I think it would make you feel very spiritual, except the fact that you might look kind of out of place here. Specifically since I wear black specifically on Shabbos, you know, so. and well, yeah. Yeah, okay, well, so, yes, go ahead, please, continue. Well, yeah. tell, us, tell us the name of the book again, please. Yeah, let's, let's hawk this book, because the Jewish wardrobe from the collection of the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. So um, we, I'm not quite finished with the internal. Okay, good, continue. I think the internal is extremely interesting, that the colors mean, um, like we just spoke about white, and so I want to talk a little bit about blue. Blue? Because, yes, because the colors most associated with the tzitzis, with the garment that the men wear. Okay. Blue and white. Nothing, nothing to do I, with a blue serge suit or anything like that. No, no. Let me just go ahead. A sample from the book because I think it's very beautiful. Um, the colors most associated with the tzitzis are blue and white. The color of one tassel thread was to be sky blue, tehillet. That is right from the Bible, from Numbers, right? Mm-hmm. In biblical times, tehillet was considered a regal color, along with argamon, a deep purplish red. And that color is explained in Exodus. And both were used in the furnishings for the Ark of the Covenant and the Temple, and in the high priest's clothing. The blue thread thus links the wearer to the holiness of the Temple and of the high priest. By chain of association, the color connects human beings to God. And I'm just going to quote a little bit of the Talmud. That was from the Chumash, from the five books of Moses, from the Bible. We go on to the oral tradition, to the Talmud. And Rabbi Meir used to say, Why is blue specified among all other colors? Because blue resembles the color of the sea, and the sea resembles the color of the sky, and the sky resembles the color of a sapphire, and a sapphire resembles the color of the throne of glory. And... So with these interpretations from our sages and the biblical commandments in regard to dress, it becomes, clothing becomes extremely important, and these mitzvah clothes become extremely important to Jewish people, no matter where they went, and it helped them be connected to God. So this is not like a trivial thing what the Jew is wearing. That's the internal world of the Jew. Now, the external is usually something sad. They were, you know, expelled and living in foreign nations, and they weren't appreciated very much sometimes, and they had to be differentiated. So whether they were in the Muslim world or in the Christian world, there were decrees that um, they had to abide by. They weren't allowed to wear certain colors. They weren't allowed to wear certain widths of sleeve. They had to wear funny-looking hats that were very demeaning. They had to wear badges. They couldn't wear a certain kind of shoe. It's very complicated, and it changed from region to region. However, one of the things it does say in the book, which I thought was fascinating, was it was in the cities that these things were more enforced. Once people got to the rural communities, it was less enforced. There was less people to care, <laughs> and people could pretty much wear what they wanted. What's interesting is that some of those restrictions, um, Jews were wearing the clothes that they had to wear for so many years that when the restrictions were taken away with modernity, in around you know late 1800s, around the 1920s, the world was really changing. And the, the Jewish communities really 
stayed with the traditional clothing because to them it, it they had already gotten used to it. They had given them their own meaning, so it didn't feel like a decree anymore, such as the black. If you're only allowed to wear black for hundreds and hundreds of years, so the Jews were, you know, like little psychologists. They understood they had to give these restrictions to their own people a new meaning that would work for them. So the black, the Jews said, well, it's, it's for the destruction of the temple. And we were, it, it makes us psychologically connected to that. Mm-hmm. Is there anything, so, let me interrupt you. Is there anything? Yeah, so they, they didn't give it up, is what I wanted to say. Yeah, because you're, you're reminding me. So even though the restrictions are taken away, Jews felt more comfortable in those clothes, even when they didn't have to wear them anymore. And you're saying with your black clothes, yes, this is true, but it's also in Morocco with the woman's dress. They would wear something called the great dress, which is something left over from Spain, the Spanish Inquisition. They're wearing these gigantic dresses. And then they had to wear them to be different from the non-Jews where they lived. They were told, you have to wear these things. They're wearing them for hundreds of years. And now these are the dresses, these Moroccan embroidery, heavy, heavy, heavy dresses you see in museums, which have been repurposed in many places to become the uh, curtains in front of the Torahs in many of the old shuls around the world. You see these ornate, beautiful, um, they're called mantles, in front of the, the parochet, in front of the, uh, the Torah. They were actually clothes worn by women, sometimes wedding dresses, and they're very, very beautiful, handmade, you know, embroidery on velvet. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in the book about the yarmulke? Because uh, yarmulke is a Babylonian invention. Right, and the yarmulke is is not ancient, and I mean, it, it wasn't it's not really biblical. accepted. They say in this book until like just a few hundred years ago, as part of you know the. Uh, you know, the rigor or whatever of, of a men's uh, clothes. But yes, they have. The, what's so fascinating is to see how beautiful they were, such as in Poland. They had these cotton quilted things. This is just worn until like before the war. You had people wearing quilted cotton uh, yarmulkes embroidered it's silver and white thread and pointy and really beautiful looking. They would you wouldn't, I don't think see that anywhere outside of a museum today. But if you go to Israel, you'll see zillions of different kinds of Jews wearing different kinds of yarmulkes. And each yarmulke really is now a statement of um, what neighborhood they're from, who's their rabbi, and what political persuasions they have. You know, if it's a tightly knit, crocheted yarmulke or a gigantic fur strimal hat that the Haredi Hasidim wear in Israel, even when it's very hot outside, they will continue to wear very proudly these super expensive handmade hats made out of fur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they identify people now. Right. You know, what, 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 you, uh, what traditions you subscribe to, what politics you're thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, th- there was an article, I don't know, 18, 19 years ago in the Jewish News about hats that mm-hmm. religious people wear. And you could tell which group, which, which, which group did a person belong by the type right. of hat that they wore. Right. And with Jews, it's, it's true. It's very true. So um, I don't want to take up too much of your time here. I just would like to say that if um, your listeners are at a Jewish museum somewhere in the world or would like to order a copy of this book, um, the uh, name again is 
the Jewish wardrobe from the collection of the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. I, I actually would just like to go to the museum and uh, meet some of the people who helped put this together because it's not a small thing. It, this took a lifetime, truly. They, they redid the museum recently, and they created the book in honor of that, and now it's out there so people can get interested in this topic. And look at these full-page, glossy pictures and say, gee, I want to go to Israel. I, I want to see these things. This is an amazing topic. And if you can't get to Israel, you can't get to the museum. So it's like you know, the picture's pretty good. But I like seeing the real thing. When you see Jews from India in saris, or Jews from Morocco or Baghdad or Iraq in complete regalia, including covering the face with a shield in uh, beautiful uh, linens embroidered. Uh, you just can't believe the variety of the costumes, the pantaloons from Tunis. Um, you know, it, it's just the colors and the handwork, the variety... Is, 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 is amazing. We're going to yeah. have to do that. We're going to have to get a Jewish hour tour mission of Israel, and uh, we'll do it then. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot of, it's be a lot of fun. Okay, our guest but, has been Hannah Finman, and we've been talking about Jewish dress, fashion, and uh, modality throughout the ages. I want to thank you so much for coming on. Sure, and those conical headgears that I mentioned. Did you want I one for your birthday? Well, I just want to tell you, they're from Algeria. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they were early 20th century. And uh, just, to, just to give you an idea, they were made with, and then I'm going to be quiet. I'll go. Go ahead. <laughs> Silver hammer. It was everything is footnoted. Um, and they are probably the most interesting things in the book. Hammered silver, cut, pierced, and punched. And then on top of it would go cardboard, velvet, cotton, lining, couched metal cord, coiled thread embroidery and sequins, silk, silver, and gilt tinsel embroidery. So these are intense works of art unto themselves and worn by women in these places. Mm, Can you imagine? Indeed. I'm glad I don't live there and have to wear one of those. I'd probably bump it on my car if I <laughs> get in. Fair enough. You'd okay. have to keep buying me new ones. Yes, indeed, or a new car. Anyway, okay, that's going to do us. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Chiropractic Healthcare offers patients the advantage of a safe and natural method of healing without the use of drugs or surgery. People of all ages, including children, benefit from chiropractic's unique approach to health. Call area code 248-557-1818 today to find out how chiropractic can benefit your family. At the Solomon Chiropractic Center, we especially love children. All kids should have their spines checked periodically throughout their crucial growing years. Growth on a crooked foundation will create a crooked spine and become harder to correct later in life. Kids love to get adjusted at the Solomon Chiropractic Center. And hey moms, did you know that chiropractic offers a safe, drug-free approach to helping with the many pains women often get during and after pregnancy? We even have special tables which open up so pregnant women can lay on their stomachs. We treat moms, dads, children, and grandparents with arthritic pains, neck pains, back pain, and headaches. People of all ages, including kids, benefit from chiropractic. Come experience the natural method of healing without the use of drugs or surgery. Stop living in pain. Call area code 248-557-1818 today for a free consultation at the Solomon Chiropractic Center to discuss you and your family's health needs. Remember, 
557-1818. That's 557-HIGH-HIGH. Herschel Finman here. You are listening to The Jewish Hour. That was very, I like that. That was a good one. And it's, a, it's an impressive book. We're going to listen to, oh, we've got some PSAs coming up. I have it all written down. Let me just grab my thing. You know, while I'm looking for the PSAs, we'll do that next time. Why don't we just go? We're going to listen to, this is the Y Studs. It's a Yeshiva University a cappella group. And they're going to be singing a song called Avis Israel, Love Your Fellow as Yourself. Assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com, 
That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to The Jewish Show. we got one PSA now. This is the Berman, the Berman Center for the Performing Arts with the Jewish Community Council of the Metropolitan Detroit announces their annual Stephen Gottlieb Festival of the Arts. This is coming up in August. It starts Thursday, August 29th with all types of, uh, of uh, uh, concerts and things, including an evening with Charles Strauss, uh, the performance of the play Golda's Balcony, starring Tolda, Tova Feldush and other things. For more information, you can go to the BermanCenter.com and see all the things that they have there. Is your organization having some sort of a something that you'd like to have publicized? Well, send that information to me at RabbiFinman.com. At the contact page, let me know, and we'll report it right here. What do we have up next for you? A little more music for you. This is A.K.A. Pella doing an eighth-day song called Cheery Bim, that when one and you're one and I'm one and together we're still one. That's the theme of the song. Let's listen in to A.K.A. Pella. Can you blow that whistle? You say cheery whistle. I say bum. Yeah, gonna show you how to do it and we'll have some fun. Cause one's just one, but together we're number one. Can you blow that whistle? You say whistle, we say bum, bum, bum. Bum bum bum, 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 b
studio of Oak Park is now accepting students. Whether you're a real beginner or have been at it for a lifetime, the art studio of Oak Park is something for you. All levels welcome, all ages welcome. Private tutoring or small friendly classes. Flexible hours available. The art studio of Oak Park is very affordable. Make your life better. Put art into your life. The art studio of Oak Park offers lessons in a strictly kosher environment. Call today, 248 542-5087. That's 248-542-5087. It's great having an art room right in the neighborhood. Herschel Fimmen here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. This is a very important. The Jewish Gene Pool. This is the Jewish Federation of Metropolitan Detroit. This is their Maimonides Society meeting. They have one of these once a year. The Jewish Gene Poll will be the discussion of Dr. Dana Zakalik. She is the um, head of the genetics pro, pro, is the director of the Beaumont Center of Genetics and a professor at Oakland University in Beaumont. She'll be talking about breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and the BRCA gene risk and prevention. This is Tuesday, July the 23rd, 7.30 p.m., Temple Israel West Bloomfield. There is an 18 donation, $18 donation to the Federation's 2013 campaign is required to attend. And of course, like everything else in Judaism, there is a dessert reception to follow. If your organization is having something that you'd like to have it announced, this is definitely something worthwhile. If you don't know about this subject, you definitely need to know about this subject. This is life or death. It really is. And Dennis Akalik is the person to, uh, to tell you about it. And uh, so contact me at rabbifinman.com and we will put on your event. One more time for one more. This is the Maccabees. This is the Book of the Good Life. This is actually a Rosh Hashanah song, but when I was in Yeshiva, so they told us that Elul is a month to prepare for Rosh Hashanah. But then they said that Elul is an abbreviation for the words Elul Ba. Elul is coming, so we have to prepare for preparing now. So this is the Maccabees. It's, it's a cappella. It's the Book of the Good Life.
to others will increase Hopefully we'll open our eyes and think more consciously Cause hopefully we'll go from where we are to where we want Hospital get healthy. At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You are listening to the day. Tomorrow, listening to the Jewish Hour. Excuse me, I'm really like talking ahead of myself. Tomorrow night, Monday night, begins the fast of Tisha B'Av. It is the black day on the Jewish calendar. It commemorates the destruction of both temples when that day was picked specifically because that was the day that the spies came back from their touring of Israel during Moses' time and brought back a bad report which allowed the Jews then to remain in the desert and not go into Israel for 40 years. It was the day that the Jews died in the desert. Nobody died any other day in the desert except for Tisha B'Av. The city of Beitar, a great metropolis during the Bar Kokhba revolt, was massacred in mass, all on Tisha B'Av. It was such that it says that the horses had to wade through the blood of those who were killed on the, in that massacre, and their bodies were not allowed to be buried. It is the day of the expulsion of the Jews from Spain. It is the day that the Franz Josef of Austria was assassinated in Sarajevo, starting World War I, which began World War II. It is not a good day on the Jewish calendar. It's looked upon as being the black day of the Jewish calendar. You could say it's because of the, the kindness of the Almighty that if events that we would refer to as tragedies and catastrophes were to happen, that they should all happen on the same day. Because let's say it was that the te- first and temp- second temples were destroyed on different days. Well, we would fast both days. So like this, it's not just by mere divine providence that it happened. There's, there's a plan to it. It's because really God does love us. 
And these days, it talks about Tisha B'Av. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about Tisha B'Av, the way Tisha B'Av should be talked about. Maimonides, in talking about the public fasts, in his Book of Laws, this is a rendering of a legal decision. This has the full legal weight of Jewish law. He writes there that in the Messianic era, these fast days, which are prescribed by the rabbis, will be converted to days of great joy and celebration. Because you look, you'll see, what's the reason for these fast days is because of some sort of an occurrence, something people were doing or were not doing. When the situation now becomes corrected, so the commemoration now becomes on the Jews correcting the situation. There is a statement in the Zohar, which is the basic book of Jewish mysticism, that a penitent, a Baal tshuva, attains a higher level spiritually than a person who is totally righteous. A person who is totally righteous lives their days one after the other, Sunday begets Monday, which begets Tuesday, which begets all the way in this week and next week and next month and next year, and they're serving God to the fullest of their potential, and that's what they get. A person, though, who has slip-ups, realize, oh, man, I slipped up. And that slip-up now causes that person to become, propels that person to become drawn closer to God. And hence, the penitent is able to reach a higher and closer and greater level of spirituality than is a totally righteous person. If that be the case, then. So a day like Tisha B'Av, which commemorates for all the different reasons that it happened. The first temple was destroyed because Jews were engaged in idolatry, murder, and adultery. And in the second temple, the Jews were engaged in baseless hatred one for the other. When those sins are, are, are corrected, so Tisha B'Av will be a celebration of the Jews attaining this higher state of consciousness, this closer spirituality and awareness of God. And it is for this reason that I wish everybody a happy Tisha B'Av, because would it be that Mashiach were to come today, which is what I believe, then tomorrow night we won't be sitting down on floors reading the Book of Lamentations and crying. We'll be dancing. we got to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard from the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts. We're happy to sponsor the Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding for the Jewish Hour comes from its sponsors, it's listeners like you that help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to The Jewish Hour, 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. That's 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. Your help is greatly appreciated. Herschel Finman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? The easiest, best way? RabbiFinman.com. www.rabbifinman. What do you find there? Well, right there on the homepage, you got the contact me link. You don't even have to go off to a different page. It's right there. I put it there right specifically so people wouldn't even have to look anyplace. Just contact me. I contact you. We become great buddies and life is grand. 
You'll also find archived editions of the U Parsha, the Hasidic U story, the E Parsha, which are insights into the portion of the week and stories presented by yours truly in various media. There's a, archived editions of the show that are there for about a month. Each show is up for about a month. And, of course, the very important donation page. We ran a very successful raffle. Thank you very much. And that's, that's the monies are pretty much already spent because those are going for all the things that have been done already. We need you to help out. Let's go back to the computer. Go to rabbifinman.com. Go to donations page. Click on the number of your choice. Don't like any of those numbers. There's a place to write in numbers. It's all very safe and secure through PayPal. PayPal and... You'll be getting a tax-deductible donation. It will be considered charity by the Almighty, and blessings will be bestowed upon your head for eternal for eternity. And the Jewish hour will be able to perpetuate itself again. We're entering our 18th year, which 18 in Judaism is simleb, simleb, nechai, life. So it'll be a lebedicker one. We've got a, uh, a, a, a succinct Jewish story right now. And we have a lot of time for me to tell it in. So the city of Kutsk, city in Poland, which at one time boasted a dynasty. Well, I don't know if you call it a dynasty because it only was one. It boasted a Rebbe whose name was known as Menachem Mendel of Kutsk. He was a fiery rabbi. If things were going wrong, he would let people know about it. It once happened. Now, Hasidim, on the other hand, we tend to take Tisha B'Av a little bit lightly. We're not not into the, the sitting on the ground and mourning thing because we know every day we're one day closer to Mashiach's coming. And so to lighten the things up in Hasidic synagogues, People would do various different things. It was like traditional to throw burrs into people's beards, which is a real pain in the neck, but it's very funny to see this old man sitting on a low stool and with a big white beard, totally and completely covered in burrs. You know, and little kids go and they throw it, I got it in his beard, yay! And then it's like, it's a real pain getting one of these things out of your beard. Trust me, folks. So anyway, so what they did is they were planning this whole, they rigged up this whole contraption that the door would open and whoever would step across the threshold would then be hoisted up to the rafters and it would be a joke. Ha, ha, ha. Everybody would laugh. So, lo and behold, who was it who walked in the door was the Rebbe. And here it is. They hoist him up to the rafters and everybody's laughing until they realized, "Uh uh-oh, we are in deep trouble because now they expected the uh, a good talking down. They let him down. They helped him up. And uh, he just looked. He turned to them. He looked at him like fiery eyes, like he was going to yell at them. And it just suddenly he turned heavenward and said, Master of the universe, you have such a holy day like Tishabov. Look how your children behave. It's one of the most solemn days of the year. They don't deserve it. Take it away from them. That's going to do it. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope we had a chance to educate you a bit. 
We hope you have a great week and easy Tisha B'Av. It should be it should be a Tisha B'Av that's like not even worth remembering. That's my my idea. It starts in Detroit from about uh, I don't have the exact times. Check your local listings, but probably from about uh, five after nine, maybe a little earlier, and goes till about ten to ten on Tuesday. And uh, take it easy. We're gonna. Thank you very much for tuning in. Have a great week. Bye. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.